I never dreamed we'd be waiting for a gift that would save my mom's life. And while I waited, I always said, God has a kidney for me. And when it comes, it'll be perfect. That's my mom, Monica Fox, kidney transplant recipient and director of outreach and government relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and the host of this podcast. I am Olivia Fox, outreach specialist for Gift of Hope Organ and Tissue Donor Network. And this episode is special because I'm taking over for my mom as host and will be sharing our journey. So take me back to the beginning of this story. 2013, when you were diagnosed with kidney failure. I'll never forget the date, November 13, 2013. I went from work to the ER to the ICU. The last thing I recall personally is driving to the ER and sitting in a wheelchair at the registration desk. Then I recall my sister Betty saying, your heart rate is high and erratic and your kidneys have failed. Your kidneys have failed echoed in my head and all I could think was, How did that happen? Then she said, you've got a real fight ahead of you. What are you going to do? I said, I've got to fight because Olivia needs me. She said, they need to put you to sleep to stabilize your condition. I said, okay, but I need to know who is responsible for waking me up. The cardiologist seemed to appear from out of nowhere to answer my question directly. I explained that I had a daughter in college who needed me. And he said, I'm going to wake you up and I will make sure that you attend your daughter's college graduation. Spoiler alert, I attended that graduation. I later learned that after putting me into an induced coma, they used the paddles to shock my heart back into rhythm, put me on a ventilator, got me stable, inserted a chest catheter, and gave me my first of many dialysis treatments. And there I was, unconscious, and fighting for my life. They had said that I wouldn't survive the first 24 hours, but I did. And when I realized that that had been my fate, I said to myself, God saved me. There must be something he has for me to do, and it's going to be my mission to figure that out. These are my thoughts. As I listen to the sounds of the ICU, there are so many different sounds. The ventilator, the blood pressure machine, the pulse oximeter, and then there are alarms. Oh gosh, the alarms. All I can see is the ceiling and I don't know if it's day or night. Then I learned that my mom had gone to the airport to pick you up and I thought, have I died or am I dying? Why have they flown Olivia home from college? And then you walked in with your beautiful smile, but with tears in your eyes. And I just wonder, how'd you feel when you walked in that ICU and saw me hooked up to all those machines, not even able to say hello to you? Well, it was like nothing I had ever seen before. Growing up, you were never sick. You don't have any other chronic illnesses. I can barely remember you having a cold, so to walk into not only this news of what's going on, um, but also all of the machines beeping and there was a, a tube going in your mouth and down your throat. And it was like nothing I, I could have ever imagined. And so I knew that I had to be there at that time. Um, 
And I knew that I had to be there for you. I kind of became your daily caregiver while there were outstanding nurses and doctors that were taking care of you uh, 24-7. There's nobody like your family that knows you inside and out. And so I was that person, that, that person, the family member that was there with you daily. And I still maintained my schoolwork. As you mentioned, I was in college at the time. And so I knew that I could bring my schoolwork home with me. And um, and so I did that. And the doctors even today still laugh remembering my cheetah print laptop with the pink case um, because I would be sitting there right in the ICU with you keeping up with my schoolwork, but also diligently working as that caretaker to be the liaison between the doctors and nurses and the rest of our family um, to let them know what tests were being done, um, let them know what outcomes had been found. I was that person. So I would take copious notes. I had a notebook that, you know, you would have thought I was in med school at the time. I was studying mass media communication in English. But uh, right then I was I was in the medical field and I was working to keep up with everything that was going on with you so that um, our family could make whatever necessary decisions needed to be made at that time. Um, And so I spent that time with you in the ICU. And then from the ICU, you went to a telemetry unit for a couple of weeks. And from the telemetry unit, it was time for you to either go home or go to a rehab center. And you chose the rehab facility. Why did you choose the rehab facility? Well, it was important for me to go to rehab because I was unable to stand or walk on my own. And I didn't want to go home and be an extra burden on the family. But before I continue about that, I just want to go back to the ICU and you being there. It's important to say that you were my voice at that time. When you're on a ventilator, you can't speak. And I was at times even strapped to the bed because the discomfort of being on a ventilator um, and, and having pain and not being able to express yourself can make a person um, combative or make you feel like trying to pull the tube out. So for your safety, often they restrain your hands. And so I was not able to express myself verbally or even in writing, but somehow you were able to know what it was that I was trying to express and you will be able to tell the doctors because I could hear what they were saying when they were in there, but I couldn't answer them. And for instance, there was an emergency surgery that they needed to to perform, and they were concerned that I might not be strong enough to make it through that surgery, but they felt it was important to do the surgery. And I wanted to say to them, I'm not afraid. You do your part, and God will do the rest. And you knew what I was feeling and you expressed that to them. And I I remember nodding furiously. And that's just remarkable. I think that just really speaks to the bond between a mother and her daughter. And so although you you were there for me like that and I had so much amazing support from our family, from my sister Betty, who was... You know, she had to work every day and she has, and my nephew was only six years old. So she had lots of responsibilities and to keep up our house that we share together. Um, She was right there supporting 
me as well being an advocate um, for me with the doctors um, once you communicated everything that was going on and my parents. Um, But I didn't want to come home and not be able to be as independent as possible. So I decided to go to a rehab center where they had not only physical therapy, but also dialysis in-house so that I could get all that I need. But my goal and my focus was to be able to stand and walk on my own so that I could at least get myself to and from the toilet and that it would not be a huge burden to get me back and forth to dialysis. And although it was a very difficult time, um, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it without the support of my family. The food in that place was horrible. And you guys brought me all of my meals. We snuck all kind of stuff in that rehab center. (laughs) (laughs) And you encouraged me to go to physical therapy extra times because the therapists were so kind. They knew what my goal was. It was now getting close to Christmas. I did not want to be in there at Christmas. And so they allowed me to come to physical therapy instead of just three times a week, three times a day if I was up to it. And you would encourage me to take a nap when I got back from physical therapy so I could wake up and have energy to go back again. And therefore, I was able to get out of there in just three weeks and to be home for Christmas. So again, I have to ask you, why did you show up every day during you were on Christmas break from college? You could have been hanging out with your friends, having a good time. But there you were sitting with your mom taking care of me, advocating for me. Well, you had always been that for everyone in our family. You had been that advocate. You had been that person that helped deal with any medical issues that anyone was going through. And so it was just kind of in me to know that that's what I had to do at that time. And I had to be that for you. And I learned everything that I knew from you. And so there was really no option about why I was there every day. Um, You always said from the beginning, even I feel like during the time in the ICU where you could barely talk and sometimes when you weren't strapped down, you would scribble things down and I could kind of make them out and, and see what you were trying to say because they would tell you, don't talk, Monica, you can't talk with that tube down your throat. But you from the beginning always said, that God was bringing you through this for a purpose and you had to figure out why. And so it was my mission to help you figure out why and to make sure that you made it through so that you could figure out why, what purpose was behind this. Our family, you know, was was impacted on, on many different levels, but as you mentioned, it took all of us. It took your parents, my grandparents, it took Auntie Betty, Um, It took all of us, cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody to make sure that you made it through this and to support you making it through this because it, it impacted our family again on every level possible. Through that time at the rehab center, once you got out of the rehab center, you were kind of back to normal life in a way, I'd say, but dialysis was something that you had to continue as a part of your treatment. And so you did outpatient dialysis um, and you didn't know anything about dialysis when you started this. How and why was it so important for you to learn so much about this process that you were going to be doing three times a week, four hours at a time? 
Well, I felt like I was on a mission. I, I, I feel like God put me on a mission and a mission is like a job. And so when you have a job, you have to understand how to do it. So I made it my mission and my purpose to learn everything I could from the nurses and the technicians at the dialysis center about how to not only survive dialysis, but to thrive on dialysis. Because the wait for a kidney in Illinois is five to seven years. And they tell you when you go on to dialysis that most people don't live more than five years on dialysis. So that was shocking to me. I'm like, what are you, what are you saying to me? And so they people would always express concern to me while I was waiting, while I was on dialysis, waiting for a transplant. And while I waited, I always said, God has a kidney for me. And when it comes, it'll be perfect. And so that's why I had to learn as much as I could because I knew that eventually part of my purpose was gonna to be to help others who either help prevent others from going the road that I went or help others along the way who were on that same journey. So I always, I would share my story on Facebook. I would take pictures of myself while I was on dialysis and share that. I would vent about things that bothered me about dialysis. I would share fun things that we did in dialysis. Um, but I put it all out there on Facebook. And while I was waiting, I was advocating with Gift of Hope for um, about organ donation. And they created a campaign called Waiting. And I was the face of that campaign. So you saw me waiting on the train and you saw me waiting in line at the coffee shop. And I shared that all over Facebook and made it a conversation about waiting and encouraged others. People would tell me all the time, your posts are encouraging to me. So I felt like I was doing what it was that God meant for me to do. So at this point, you're basically Facebook famous. I mean, even I'm getting recognized from your page. People on the train are like, aren't you Monica's daughter? Oh, she knows so much about donation and transplantation. And she changed my mind about, you know, me being registered just from sharing her story. I never knew that. Um, I never knew who was more in need. I never knew that people that looked like me were more in need. So you really... Um, you know, kind of kick this off with the help of Gift of Hope and just with your own ambition to share your story on Facebook, um, you you have become known <laughs> for that. And I'd say that anyone that knows you really kind of knows you at this point for a, as a spokesperson for kidney health and for organ donation. And so that's really something that's amazing. And actually, it's something that you have brought me alongside of you with and getting to that purpose. So I volunteered and I would bring you along to volunteer with me and we worked together. You even wrote a paper about organ donation for a group project while you were in college. And all of that really impacted you and led to your current role. So tell us about how you got your job and what do you do? So I can't say that I ever expected to work in the field of organ donation and transplantation, but I will also say that I can't imagine a more fulfilling um, space and industry to work in um, right now, especially being able to share our own story. I got my role um, just actually a couple months after you received your kidney transplant. It was, you know, I, I always say that it was kind of like God was moving us around like chess pieces this whole time. And even when it was hard, even when we were in, you know, 
a sticky situation, we were always being moved to what feels like closer to our purpose. Now here I am almost four years later um, as a community outreach specialist for Gift of Hope. And I get to tell our story every day. I get to share your story every day and I get to impact people and help them understand the importance of organ and tissue donation and the, the importance of registering your own wishes so that you can save lives like someone saved my mom's life. This podcast is a beautiful example of collaboration between Gift of Hope and the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois to share stories uh, about people dealing with kidney disease and transplantation and donation. And and so um, this collaboration is key because about 60% of those that are on the transplant waiting list are waiting for a kidney. So that's a good amount of the list, right? You talked about uh, earlier, you, you mentioned the wait when you... Uh, were on the waiting list was five to seven years in Illinois. And so 60% of the people that need any type of transplant are waiting for a kidney. And so it's important that the community continues to see our two organizations partnering um, together. So here we are at my favorite part of the story, the miracle. So you and I have always had early morning conversations and I will never forget One morning, our conversation was interrupted by a phone call. Can you tell me about, or at least remind me about what this phone call was like for you and what it was about? Yes. So I remember vividly, it was about 7 a.m. on a Monday morning and we were chatting and my phone rang and I recognized the name that came on over my phone, but it wasn't something, someone who I talked to regularly that would usually call at that hour of the morning was one of my um, sort of distant relatives who had offered to be a living donor for me at one point, but that didn't work out. I mean, she called and she shared a story about a family friend of hers whose uncle had been injured in an accident and they were preparing to donate his organs. And she asked me if I was still waiting for a kidney. And I told her yes. And she asked if she could give them my name and number. And in that moment, my heart stopped and I thought, oh my God, could this be it? Could this be the time that my gift is coming? So I gave her permission to give them my name and number and I hung up and I was stunned. And you said, who was that? What happened? And when I explained it to you, you couldn't believe it. And we immediately just stopped and prayed. And then I thought, oh my goodness, This was the week of Thanksgiving and I was baking cakes and things for other people as a hobby. And I had cakes to bake that day. And I said, oh, what will I do? I have orders to fill. And so immediately I got a call back from the OPO, uh, the Oregon Procurement Organization in Memphis, where the accident had occurred, who asked for my transplant coordinator's number and, oh, The calls just started coming, but the amazing call that I received was from his daughter. His daughter called me directly to tell me that her father was a match for me. And that was the call that saved my life. His daughter was the same age as you, is the same age as you. And she was his legal next of kin. And she called to say that she was getting ready to sign the paperwork for her father to be a donor and that his kidney was being earmarked to be sent to me. And the other call that I got that was absolutely amazing after all the testing had been done for the kidney and that they had said the kidney was on a plane being sent to Chicago. 
and that I should get to the hospital to be prepped for surgery. I received a call with a message from his mom. And his mom had asked my friend if my mother was still alive. And she asked that my friend tell my mother that this was her gift to my mom. That she wanted her to tell me that she expected great things of me because her son would have done great things. And that was just, those messages really just lifted me up and helped me know that this was a plan and that this was the perfect gift for me. And so I went to the hospital. I was in surgery overnight. You stayed there all night by yourself waiting for me to come out. And I woke up feeling 200% better and oh, so grateful on the day before Thanksgiving 2016. So how did you feel when you found out that the transplant was successful? It was the best feeling ever. Doctors told me that everything had gone well, and I think that that was the first time I had ever cried happy tears in my life. We had experienced the miracle of donation and transplantation. How has this journey impacted your purpose? Well, it has impacted my purpose because every morning I wake up and I have the desire to do good. I have a desire to make a difference for others who are on this journey. And that's because of Milton. Milton was a son, a brother, a father, an uncle, um, a gregarious person, according to his mother, who was so well loved by his family and especially his mother and daughter. Milton and his family gave me a gift. And this is not a gift for which you can just say thank you. This is a gift that requires action because the word thank you just isn't enough. And that's why I do what I do every day and it fulfills me each and every day. So remember those chess pieces I talked about? Well, we have both been moved into a space that we're finally walking in our purpose. We will both continue to honor Milton's legacy by doing this important work. We are able to impact waiting patients and donor families that will experience this journey that we have gone through. We are forever thankful, extra thankful, to Milton and his family for this life-saving gift. This has been The Journey Continues, a podcast from the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. I'm Olivia Fox, and it's been a pleasure to be your guest host for the day. And I'm Monica Fox, Olivia's very proud mother and your usual host. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Are you a registered organ donor? Have the conversation with your family. If Milton hadn't discussed his decision with his daughter and mom, I might not be here talking with you today. I'm so grateful that he did so my journey could continue. If you'd like to learn more about advocating for organ donation, visit giftofhope.org. At NKFI, prevention is a major part of our mission. That's why at the end of each episode, you will hear a nutrition tip. Here's Dr. Melissa Prest. Here is today's nutrition tip about food safety. Food safety is important for everyone, and it's especially important for people after receiving a kidney transplant. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, estimates that every year, roughly one in six Americans, or 48 million people, get sick, 
128,000 are hospitalized, and 3,000 die of foodborne disease. There are four basic principles of food safety. Clean, separate, chill, and cook. Clean. Wash your hands often for at least 20 seconds and keep surfaces clean, including shelves, countertops, tables, refrigerators, freezers, utensils, pots and pans, and cutting boards. You can rinse off your fresh fruits and vegetables with cold water before eating or cutting. Separate. Keep ready-to-eat foods separate from raw meat, fish, poultry, and eggs. Use two cutting boards, one for raw meat, poultry, and seafood, the other for ready-to-eat foods, including breads and vegetables. Discard old cutting boards that have cracks, crevices, and excessive knife scars. Chill. Refrigerate promptly at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below. Make sure your refrigerator is set below 40 degrees Fahrenheit and freezer is at or below zero degrees Fahrenheit. Keep a refrigerator thermometer in your refrigerator and check it regularly. Refrigerate perishable food as soon as you get home from the store and all other leftover foods from a meal within two hours. And make sure to thaw and marinate foods in the refrigerator instead of the countertop. And finally, cook. Cook foods to proper temperature and always use a food thermometer to check the doneness of meat, chicken, seafood, and dishes containing eggs. You can find out more about food safety and proper cook temperatures at cdc.gov, fda.gov, and foodsafety.gov. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.